We have assembled now for a phase of our worship that is commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ. The only ritual that is involves celebration that is authorized by him, which we call the Lord's Supper. This Lord's Supper is for the purpose of commemorating the Lord Jesus Christ, for he said, do this in remembrance of me. So, when we get together as a church, we are jointly participating in the body of Christ. So that when we celebrate the bread that represents his death on the cross, we are also affirming that we belong to the church of Christ, the body of Christ. Also, it is the fact that when we partake of the cup that represents his death on the cross on our behalf too, that is a way of affirming that you are sharing in the blessings of the death of Christ on the cross, including the forgiveness of sins. This celebration is one of a mixed emotion, so to say. In the sense that we think back of what the horror the Son of God endured on your behalf and on my behalf. It's something to think about. All the human truth. So that you and I can have it in our life. So in that respect, it's one that causes some kind of sadness in a sense. But on the other hand, though, it's a joyous occasion because he's not in the grave. He has risen from the grave. He's in heaven and poised to come back to this planet. So that's why it's a mixed emotion. We're joyfully celebrating what he achieved for us on the cross. So this celebration is like no other. And that is why we have a warning about it. He says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many among you are weak and sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep. In other words, there were some in Corinth who came to this table, took it lightly. Some of them went home, died. And some got sick because they took this lightly. In order to ensure that you're not taking it lightly, you need to check the condition of your soul as we celebrate this. So we spend some few minutes, go through, see if you've picked up during the break or otherwise some thought or anything that contaminates your soul. It's a time to bring it and confess it to the Lord. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this privilege that your son Jesus Christ had given us to celebrate in his name. We recognize that there's no way we can focus on our own apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we request that the Holy Spirit will enable us to concentrate, focus on him as we celebrate this occasion. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, like I told you, just now, if you did what I said during the break, it will take us more than a, a few seconds here to get the bread out. In the night, just before our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread, and after offering time, says, Eat, this represents my body. Father, we thank you, and as we look forward to celebrating the cup, we just pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will continue to keep us focused on your Son, Jesus Christ. This, again, is a request in Christ's name. Amen. Give you a few minutes here, or a few moments, to ponder on what we are celebrating before we celebrate the cup. Can I get your cup? I mean, remove the top part. In the same fashion, our Lord, after taking the cup, says, drink from it, all of you. You would turn to number 185 when I survey the wondrous cross, and then please stand.
Before the break and the Lord's Supper, we review the message of First Corinthians 12 verses 12 through 26, which is that unity and diversity are essential in the body of Christ, that is the church of Christ. We also began to look at the responsibilities that come from that message. The first that we consider, which is developed from verses 12 and 13, is that you should recognize the unity and diversity in the church of Christ. The second, that also derived from verses 14 through uh, 19, is that you should focus on facts stated about members of the church of Christ. Now this, of course, led us to uh, quickly review five facts that we should remember. The first one, that the Church of Christ consists of several members. The second, that no believer can be separated from the body of Christ. The third, that each member is necessary for the functioning of the local Church of Christ or the universal church of Christ. The fourth is that it is God that places each member in the church in the, uh, to function the way he uh, desires or wants. The fifth, that there would have been no church of Christ as we know it today if it consisted only of one member. So that brought us to the third responsibility that we stated based on verses 22 26. And that third responsibility is this, that you should be careful how you treat members of the body of Christ. That is, of course, the church of Christ. 
So we presented this responsibility by linking it to uh, the reasons or the positions that are necessary to bear in mind in order to help us carry out this third responsibility. So the first reason, you should be careful how you treat members of the body of Christ, that is the church of Christ, is because of the importance of unity and diversity in the church of Christ, which is derived from verse 20, when it says there are many paths but one body. We indicated that diversity in the church of Christ or diversity of any kind is from God. So there is uh, evidence as we went through to show that uh, originally all humans looked alike, skin color, they looked the same way until the birth of Noah. And I went through the book of Enoch to show you how that uh, was recorded, but it's not recorded in our scripture, and use it to explain why there are differing hues or skin colors today on the planet. According to Genesis 9 verse 19 that we uh, have established or studied in detail, and I made the point that, yes, we studied that whole thing in detail in uh, lesson 71, of our study in Genesis, which means if you didn't, if you weren't here and you have not uh, seen fit to go through and listen through the Genesis series, that you can go to lesson 71 and you get from there on, you get the details of all that study. Anyway, so with that, we looked at the second reason that you should uh, uh, be careful how you treat uh, members of the body of Christ. And that is that each member depends on the other. Now so, no believer should then think the individual does not need others. And I, uh, just before the break, I indicated that many who think that they do not need others may be suffering from what I call Laodicean syndrome. Whereby a person is blinded by spiritual affluence so that the person thinks that the person is sufficient because you have all the money or whatever you need, so you don't need others. Or, or the person may think that, well, because I'm well financially or whatever, I must be doing well spiritually. Those are lies. And that's why I call them the Laodicean syndrome. And I just borrowed that based on Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. And that's where we stopped before the Lord's Supper and so forth. So we go back to begin from that passage. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17 reads, You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. I see, that's why I say, affluence. You think, I, I have everything I need, what do I need? But look at what it says. But you do not realize that you are wretched, terrible, poor, blind, and naked. Now that just tells you, that's why I, that's why I call it a syndrome. 
Because people get into it, they think, oh, I'm fine, but you're not. Which, even when people think they are self-sufficient, because of material affluence, when you dive deeper, you find many people are so lonely, even though they, on the other side they appear to be uh, full of life or whatever. But when you really go into where they live, they are so lonely. Anyway. So the charge here that the Lord levied on members of the church of uh, Laodicea is that they took their material wealth as an indication of their spiritual condition similar to what we find today among prosperity preachers. That's about what they, they are. Because they say, well, if you worship the Lord, you should be having all this money. And so time when I hear that this thing, I read something came out to my notice of where they say one of the richest pastors on the planet. I said, what? What does that mean? Now, that's, I mean, that sounds great. And, you know, um, because it's, as during that period, somebody was telling me yesterday evening, they went to a church in Florida. And uh, in the bulletin, they had, uh, I think they said, abundant life. Ten abundant life or something. I mean, I know they're coming from John chapter 10, verse 10. And it's there I said, uh, you know, they're looking for pledges of about $50 million, and this and that, and that. Because they have, they're trying to raise up things, they say, 300 something million. I say, for what? <laughs> anyway, so the thing is, these things have confused people. So they, they equate those two. I mean, so you're a wealthy uh, man, and you're doing well in your business, the Lord is blessing you. Well, yes. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing well spiritually. And that's why it takes a whole lot of person to evaluate that and be sure I am actually doing well. Not just that the Lord is doing, blessing me for some other reason. Anyway. So, the people who are in that kind of situation, they equate prospering materially with being good Christians. And that is what I call Laodicean syndrome. And that is what describes the prosperity preachers. Anyway, that aside, the truth is that believers need each other, both physically and spiritually. Now, the early church demonstrated the importance of each member in supporting others in a material sense. So, uh, those who were well off provided for those who were not. As that is what is implied in Acts chapter 4, verse 35. Now again, some of these things, people have to be, you have to be careful when you try to apply these passages. Because what people are doing today is they are not applying the concept behind this. Now, notice what it says. I'm going to read it and give you a little bit um, comment so you know if you're going to apply that passage, you have to apply it in a restricted manner. And that is what it is. Here, say, this is people who sold their property and took the proceeds and so on, give it to the apostles in order to help feed other people and so on. He says, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Now, 
Here is the thing. Remember, when they say need, they are talking about food and clothing. That's all they are talking about. Not all these extras of our lives today that we all enjoy. That's not what they are talking about. Talking about food and clothing. So if there is a believer who needs food, actually needs food, and they are not guilty of laziness in the sense they don't want to walk, or they are sick, or they are not under some kind of discipline from God that we believers in that group know, then they should help that person feed himself or feed herself. It's not talking about you being comfortable with life because of other people. That's not what it's talking about. So you have, people have to know when you're applying a passage, match it with the context. So, that's the, so these people, all they were thinking about is food. And it's still true today in many parts of the world. Now I've told you, most of you have never known that. You hear about it, but you've never seen it with your I have. When people say, I'm poor. They mean, I don't know if I have food for this evening. That's what they're talking about. They're not talking about what you're talking about. They just don't know whether they can find food tonight. That's what they mean. In most part of the world. Anyway. So, under those situations, believers who have should support those who don't. If they meet those criteria that are listed. Now, it was because believers... Recognize that we need each other, even materially. That was probably a motivating factor that caused the Philippians to meet the material needs of Apostle Paul. Who met their spiritual needs, as stated in Philippians chapter 2 verse 25. Philippians chapter 2 verse 25 it is but I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus my brother fellow worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. So, it is because believers need each other in a material sense that we have various instructions regarding being generous to one another. The Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul conveyed this in his epistle to the Romans in Romans chapter 12 verse 13. Romans chapter 12 verse 13. Romans chapter 12 verse 13. It is cheer with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Now it is in part because of this reason though 
that believers need each other in material sense that the Holy Spirit encourage hard work on part of believers to be in a position to help others in a material sense as we read in that instruction in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28. It reads Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28 reads He who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Now a person could say that the individual has enough resources that the person does not need the help of others. But that does not mean the individual does not need other believers in a material sense. See, money is not the only need we have in a material sense. Money is not the only need. Now we need the company of other believers. So if you do not need anything material because you have enough resources, you certainly will need the company of other believers. Now this fact becomes truer in old age. Moses is never called to many people. Because this since you don't know, there are many things we never know in this life until we reach that stage. You don't know what an old person feels until you get old. You don't know that. But if you study the Bible enough, you will know some of these things ahead of time. Now, you see, the, uh, when a person is old, they don't need your money. What they need is your company. That's all they need. People don't know that. That's, I mean, that's just fine. When you get old, because what, what is there that somebody can do for you anymore? All you want, company. So in that way, we need each other as believers. Now this aside, we need each other spiritually, of course. We all do. Now there is no doubt that every local church needs a pastor to teach the truth, so to meet the spiritual needs of believers. But those who have been taught the word of God also have the responsibility of encouraging other believers with the truth they have learned. This reality is conveyed in the instruction of the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul to the Thessalonians in First Thessalonians, uh, Thessalonians chapter four, verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 18 it is therefore encourage each other with these words that's a responsibility. It's not, it's not, it, yeah, it's not, it's not addressed to a pastor. 
Because the one writing here is really one that represents the pastor, the apostle Paul. He's writing to believers. And this is where we, you know, we, when we look at ourselves, we really need to think seriously. How true are we being to the Bible? Are you doing what I'm just reading here? Are you content to sit down here every Wednesday, every Sunday, go to say? If you are, you're failing. Let me be honest with you, you're failing. Because this is what he said. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, the, the phrase, these words, refers to the content of what the apostle taught, starting in verse 13 and ending in verse 17 of this First Thessalonians chapter 4. Now the summary, of course, of which is really that those who have departed to be with the Lord will not miss the resurrection event as some of the Thessalonians might have been led to believe. But in reality, those who have died in Christ will receive their spiritual bodies or eternal bodies before those who are physically alive at the second coming of our Savior. Thus we see that believers have the responsibility of encouraging each other from the truth they receive from their pastors. Now this, the implication is that we need each other spiritually. Our encouragement of each other spiritually is to be something we do regularly as it is implied in the instruction of Of the Holy Spirit through the human author of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13. Grace. But encourage one another daily. As long as it is called today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now here is the thing. I mean I I try to be practical. Because here as far as I know. The Lord will hold me responsible. If I should secure his word. And that means I have to expand it and give you an example and challenge you. And if you don't do it, that's between you and him. At that point, I know how I can say, honestly, I've washed my hand. Yeah. So, as we're talking about it, I want you to think, are there people in this congregation that have needs? Not money. I'm not talking about money. They are alone. Or they are facing some uh, lonely situations in their lives. How many times have you reached out to those people? I'm talking about this body. I'm not talking about outside. This body. How many times? Think about it. If you're not doing that, Again, you're failing because that's your responsibility. You're supposed to care for each other. And so, we need each other means you reach out spiritually, materially, depending on what the situation is. 
So that's what we have here. Now it's not only that we need encouragement from our fellow believers, but we also need each other's prayer. As Apostle Paul acknowledged the prayers of the Corinthians for him and his missionary theme as we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 11. Second Corinthians chapter 1 verse 11 it reads as you help us by your prayers then may many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many so I don't have to repeat that to ask you how many do you pray for in this group anyway and so the point we are stressing though is that we need each other both physically and spiritually. Therefore, it will be wrong for you to think that you do not need other believers. So in any event, a second reason then, you should be careful how you treat members of the body of Christ is because each member depends on each other. A third reason you should be careful how you treat members of the body of Christ, that is the church of Christ, is because even those considered weak are indispensable in the body of Christ. Now, we'll use of the word even recognizes that a reason a member of a local church may think that the individual does not need other believers is because such a person may feel that others or other believers have nothing to contribute to them, especially if they are looking at others purely from physical perspective. In other words, a person who is materially blessed, for example, may look down on the poor believer in the local church and think that such a person has nothing to contribute to the individual or to the church of Christ. Or a person with visible spiritual gifts may look down upon a person whose spiritual gift may not be readily visible. Now that is the wrong way to look at a fellow believer. Thus, to counter this kind of thinking, the apostle begins 1 Corinthians 12 verse 22 with the phrase of the NIV, on the contrary. That's how the verse, NIV begins verse 22. On the contrary. Now that expression, on the contrary, is translated from a Greek word that primarily is used to Indicates a difference with with or contrast to what precedes. In effect, it is used to express contrast between an immediate clause and the one preceding it, so it may be translated both, rather, or on the contrary. When the word is used 
in connection with a command. It may mean something like now or then. As the word is used, or it is translated in that instruction, given to wives regarding their husbands. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 24. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 24. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 24 reads, Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now some English versions really began this verse 24 with the conjunction but. but. Now interestingly though, the translators of the International Standard Version began with the word indeed, indeed. Which is really a permissible translation of the Greek uh, word when a contrast is to be made in an emphatic manner or a strong alternative is being suggested. Now this aside, in our passage of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 22, the apostle used the word as a marker of emphatic contrast. Now it is because the apostle introduced, uh, I mean intended to emphasize the contrast between the view held by some in verse 21 and the one a person should have that we use the word even in stating the third reason that we have given for being careful in one's treatment of fellow believers. Now it is not only the phrase of verse 22 on the contrary that enables us to recognize that the apostle is emphatic in what he states in verse 22. But also, a Greek phrase that is not directly translated in the NIV and in many of our English versions. Now, the Greek phrase literally translates into the English this way. Much more. It's not translated in NIV and many of our English versions, but the Greek literally reads much more, much more. Now, some suggest, though, that the literal Greek uh, phrase could be translated something like, even more to the point, even more to the point. Anyway, regardless of how the literal phrase is translated into the English, the fact is that the phrase is another way the apostle conveyed that he was being emphatic in what he stated in the verse that we are considering regarding the necessity of the weaker parts or the weaker uh, parts in the church of Christ. That's to say the weaker believers. Now the apostle, having, got, having gotten the attention of the reader with an emphatic contrast and uh, another phrase that we say literally means much more, much more. Then he goes on to state the contrast using the analogy of the human parts that he has been using as we read in the verse we are now looking at verse 22. Look at it, it says, those parts of the body 
that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Now we humans are fond of judging others by what we perceive or by appearance contrary to God. Now you may say to yourself that you do not do that. Well, are you being honest when you say that? I mean, have you never formed an opinion of someone based on outward appearance? Now, if you admit that you have done so in the past, you're not alone. You're not the first, nor will you be the last. Now, Prophet Samuel was caught in the same trap when the Lord sent him to anoint a son of Jesse as the king. When he saw Eliab, who was tall and had the appearance of what uh, many consider a good-looking king, because of his height or appearance, he concluded that he must be the one the Lord chose, but he was wrong. As we may gather from what the Lord said to him, as we read in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. For Samuel, for Samuel chapter 16, verses 6 through 7. For Samuel chapter 16, verse 6 reads, When they arrived, Saul, I mean Samuel, saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now it's probably because we are prone to misjudging others based on appearance that the Holy Spirit then directed the apostle to write in the passage we are studying of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 22 when it says those parts of the body that seem that seem now the word seem here is translated from a Greek word dokeo dokeo now that word may mean to be convinced of that is as it is used though to describe the belief of apostle Paul before his conversion, when he persecuted Christians, according to Acts chapter 26, verse 9. Acts chapter 26. Verse 9, Acts chapter 26, 
verse 9. This is what it reads. I too was convinced. That's our Greek word that's translated same in the passage we're studying. But here it's convinced. I, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Now the word may mean to consider as probable. So it means to think, to believe, or even to suppose. As Apostle Paul used it to warn against self-deception in Galatians chapter 6 verse 3. Galatians Now hold on to Galatians once you get to it. Galatians chapter 6, verse 3. It reads, if anyone thinks, that's a Greek word, if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now the word may mean to appear to one's understanding, hence means to seem, as the apostle Paul used it to describe some of those he made known to the uh, the gospel message that he preached to the Gentiles, as we read still in that Galatians chapter uh, 2, look at verse 2. Galatians 2, verse 2. It reads, And went in response to a revelation, and said before them, the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed, as I word, seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. In our passage of First Corinthians uh, 12 verse 22, the word has a sense of to seem, that is to give a certain impression or to have a certain outward aspect. Now, Apostle Paul indicates that there is an impression given or created by certain parts of the body as in the clause of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 22 that we're studying. When he says, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker. Now, the word to be is translated from uh, a Greek word that may mean to belong, to belong, as it is used to describe the estate of the chief official of the island of Malta, where Paul and his team were entertained after the shipwreck, according to Acts chapter 28, verse 7. Acts 28. Verse 7. Acts 28, verse 7 reads, There was an estate nearby that belonged us, our Greek word, Hupa Ako, that belonged to uh, Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. Now the word may mean to be then in a state of or circumstance as Apostle Paul used it to describe the state of Sarah 
regarding being unable to become pregnant. According to Romans chapter 4 verse 19. Romans chapter 4 verse 19. It is without weakening in the faith in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about hundred years old, and that Sarah, Sarah's womb was also dead. Here the word is translated was. Now the word may mean to possess then as it is used to describe the virtues that if believers have, will keep them from being ineffective in their spiritual life. As we read in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Second Peter Chapter 1, verse 8. Now from verse 5, he lists all the qualities, but here he just says, For if you possess, that's a Greek word, if you possess these qualities in increasing manner, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In our passage of 1 Corinthians uh, 12, verse 22, the word then is used in the sense of to be or to exist in a state or condition. The state or condition that's in view is the impression related to body parts. Now the impression created is given with the word weaker. Weaker. Now that word weaker is translated from a Greek word that may pertain to suffering from a debilitating illness. Hence, the word may mean ill or sick. As Apostle Paul used it to describe his condition when he came to preach the gospel to the Galatians, as we read in Galatians chapter 4, verse 13. Galatians chapter 4, Verse 13. Galatians chapter 4, verse 13. He reads. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Now the word may also pertain to experiencing some incapacity or limitation, either physically or spiritually. It is in this sense of, of being unimpressive, that the word is used by Apostle Paul to describe how some in Corinth viewed or perceived him. As we read in 2 Corinthians 
chapter 10 verse 10. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10. Uh, you may put your marker in Second Corinthians because I'll go to one passage and come right back to Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10 reads, For some say, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person, he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Now that clause, but in person he is unimpressive. So the Greek actually reads this way. But his bodily presence is weak. Otherwise he didn't have what they call commanding presence. But they say once he handles a pen, he becomes a tiger. That's more or less what it's saying. Anyway, but the word weak, though, here stands in direct contrast to a Greek adjective that literally means strong, although uh, in the context of the Second Corinthians 10 verse 10, the Greek word has a sense of impressive, impressive. So it is for this reason that our Greek uh, word has this meaning then of unimpressive. As given in the NIV, since it is the bodily appearance of the apostle that is being criticized by some incorrect. Now you have said that there's no one that's not being criticized by other people. I don't care what you um, what you do or don't do. If you think that uh, yeah, everyone is talking good about you. <laughs> You, you're not living on this planet. It doesn't matter who you are. You may be as nice as you can to people. They're still talking about you. Believe me. Now that's the reality. Is because we're sinful people. We have to talk about others. Not that we should. The people who do that. Now so that there's no way you can say. Well I've done everything. That's you know. Everyone will applaud what I did. No they won't. So, what option do you have? Do what is applauded by the Lord. That's it. If the Lord, if the Lord applauds you, don't worry about the rest of us. We are, we are not important. Once the Lord applauds you, that's what's important. Anyway, in a spiritual sense, the Greek word may mean helpless or powerless, but morally, or even physically, but mostly since we're dealing spiritually, we're dealing more with the moral aspect, as that's the way it's used to describe our state, the state of humanity, when Christ died for our sins, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Romans chapter 5, verse 
6. It is, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, that's the Greek word that's translated the weak. Asthenes, the Greek word asthenes. It says, when we are still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Here, really, the powerlessness here should be uh, looked upon as being morally uh, depraved. So the apostle used our Greek word then in both physical and spiritual weaknesses in the same passage as we can read from 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 29. 2 Corinthians and see, hold on to Second Corinthians, chapter eleven, verse twenty-nine. Reads, "Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn." Now, being weak here probably refers to both physical and spiritual weaknesses. In other words, being weak refers to physical infirmity and being vulnerable to temptation and doubt. So the apostle then feels weak in the sense that he empathizes or has compassion for the vulnerability of these Corinthians to temptation and to doubt, since he himself experienced illness, discouragement, and fear here, so he can understand that. Of course, the apostle bonds with anger towards those who lead others to sin. It is true that our Greek word may be used to describe physical and spiritual weakness. But there are specific nuances implied though in the use of the meaning weak, depending on the context that's involved. In our passage of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 22, the word means weak, that is, without strength, without strength. So the apostle in his analogy conveys that there are body parts that we consider to be weak. Or without strength. But the Holy Spirit really through him makes an astonishing statement about such body parts. Now the assertion of the Holy Spirit through the apostle about the parts that we consider of little strength or weak. Is that they are indispensable as in that verbal phrase of where we are looking at 1 Corinthians 12 verse 22. Look at it, it says, are indispensable. Now the word indispensable here is translated from a Greek word that may mean necessary. Necessary. As Apostle Paul used it to explain the reason he sent uh, some brothers to the Corinthians regarding the collection they promised to make to help 
their fellow believers in Judea, as we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. Second Corinthians Second Corinthians chapter nine verse five. Second Corinthians chapter nine verse five reads So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gifts you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Now the word may mean then also intimate or close, intimate or close, as that's the way the word is used to describe those colonists invited to his home in anticipation of the arrival of Apostle Paul. I mean, sorry, Apostle Peter to come and give him the gospel in Acts chapter 10 verse 24. So the Greek word that is translated here That's translated here, indispensable. We're saying it can mean to be close or in, intimate. So that is the way it's used in Acts chapter 10, verse 24. It is the following day, he, he arrived in Caesarea. Colonus was expecting them and had called together his relative and close. Now that word close is the same Greek word translated in, indispensable in our passage. So here it means close, close friends. So in our passage then of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 22, the word is used with the meaning of necessary that is really unavoidable, something unavoidably determined by a prior circumstance. So be that then as he may, the Holy Spirit through Apostle meant to convey that the parts of the body that we consider weak in the sense of not having strength have become, have been considered necessary by God who placed those parts in the body. Even though we may look and say it's weak, but God knew it's necessary. Of course, the apostle was not really concerned with body parts as such, but he uses body parts in analogy to convey the truth. The Holy Spirit wants to get to us as we consider the importance of unity and diversity. Consequently, the Holy Spirit intended to convey to us at least two facts regarding Members of the body of Christ. At least two facts. He wants us to recognize that there is no believer that is unimportant in God's church or the church of Christ. No matter what we think of a fellow believer, 
we should recognize or we should not forget that such a person is as much a beneficiary of the work of Christ as we. Apostle Paul had already indicated that Christ died for the believer that we may consider weak as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 11. First Corinthians chapter eight verse eleven. It reads first Corinthians eight verse eleven reads So this wicked brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. Here's the thing if the Lord Jesus Christ considered the soul called weak believer important to die for such a person who are you to consider a fellow believer unimportant because of your human evaluation furthermore the Holy Spirit wants us to recognize that no spiritual gift is insignificant in the body of Christ every spiritual gift has been given to individual believers because God had determined that such gifts are necessary for the functioning of the body of Christ. Now this means that we should not undervalue any spiritual gift since it comes from God who has seen the necessity of that gift for a local church. So anyway, a third reason then, you should be careful how you treat members of the body of Christ, that is the church of Christ, is because even those considered weak are indispensable or are necessary members of the body of Christ. Now we'll, we'll continue with the fourth one. But we're out of time, so we'll pick this up next week. Let's pray. As we close our study this morning, there may be someone who is listening on the internet or who is here. And you're not sure of your spiritual life. In other words, if you die now, you go straight to hell. We want you to know of God's love for you. God loves you so much, he demonstrated it by sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who took on the human body, came to this planet, taught, did all miracles, all to prove one pastor that he is the son of God. He who came to die on our behalf. So he is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So he came here in the midst of sinful people. The most torturous no doubt to him to have lived among sinful people. He endured all that. And was yet. When. He. Was. Crucified on the cross. The one who has not known sin. Was made sin. For us. In other words. He bore. For the first time. He came in contact. With sin. So to say. In terms of judgment. Now you think about the fact that 
of all the torture, physical torture, that will cause a human being to shout and hollow. He never did that. Until my sins and your sins were being judged on the Son of God. He was so unbearable that he let out that cry then, Eli, Eli, Lamashibakatani, my God, my God, what have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so that you may be brought in. He was forsaken that you may have life. How? The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What are you going to believe? If you believe that he died, was buried, and rose again the third day for your sins, you will receive eternal life. Because your sins will be forgiven. No matter what they are, they'll be cleansed, and you have a clean slate with God. So trust in Him, believe in Him for your eternal life. On the other hand, if you say, Well, I don't really care at this moment, well, my friend, you don't know if you have a tomorrow. So this is the day of salvation. Believe in Him and escape God's eternal wrath. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will continue to cause us to understand and to recognize that we should be very careful how we treat our fellow believers. This is our request in Christ's name. Amen.